0: Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. We do three verses. But when he saw the multitudes, that's Jesus, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we, we desire to have a reverence for you this morning. God, we are your disciples. or we are your people, Lord. And as such, Lord, I, I just pray that you would minister to our hearts. Encourage us where we need to be re- encouraged. Rebuke us where we need to be in, rebuked. Lord, I desire to learn from you this morning. And so, Father, hearts be submitted to who you are. May our hearts be submitted to your glorious word and the amazing call that you have called us to. Jesus, go into the inner places. Father, wash us clean with your word. We desire to learn from you, and we desire to serve you. So equip us to do so this morning. In Jesus' mighty and holy name we pray. Amen. 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 Have a seat. Have a seat. So, in the incredibly, incredibly short time I've been here on this earth, very <laughs> short time I've been here, I have, <laughs> I have discovered um, that when it comes to the tasks of God and the people of God being called to his task and to his work, as Jesus observed, there's, there's, there's a polarization, it seems. There are, 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 are those that, much like myself sometimes, I, I think we could all fall into either one of these camps, but there are those who, who, who see the work and the harvest that God has, has put before them, and they, they either see themselves as ill equipped to do such work, or they, they just see it as not of great importance, and so they, they, they kind of, they refuse to really dive in to the harvest of God, to the work of God. And then on the other end, and I, like I said, I think we can all fall into both of these camps at different times in our lives, but I, I and at other parts, you know, there's some of us that are diving into the work of God, and we're like, why aren't people helping? I think we, we've all been at that some part in our lives where we're, we're a part of a project or we're a part of a mission and we're a part of something that, that we are passionate about and we look at people around us and we're like, well, what, are, what are they doing? This is of the utmost importance. And I think we fall into two different camps and, and unfortunately, usually, those who defer to the, the majority, those, those who say, okay, maybe that work is for the professionals, Maybe that work is for other people. Unfortunately, that, is, that tends to be the majority. Why? Why? Why is that? And, and, and well, I, I would say that what, ran, what runs as a problem here today in the Christian church is also a problem that, that happened in Jesus' time. This is nothing new. So, so know this, there's nothing new under the sun. All the problems that we face today as a people group, as a nation, have been going on since the beginning of time, right? This is nothing new. And in fact, in Jesus' time, he was walking around and he was looking at the hurt among his people. And I think think the tendency for the, the, the minority to do the bulk of the work, that's something that isn't new, and I would say that that is a problem that stems from an overestimation of the religious elite. An overestimation of the religious elite, as Jesus was looking upon the multitude and seeing all those who were sick, lost, uh, depressed, hurting, and broken. He looked upon all of these people, and he said, where are the shepherds? He was walking across, and he was seeing all these people that are in need and in hurt, And it says that that he was grieved and that he had compassion over them. And compassion doesn't mean like, oh, you know. It's like, you know, I, I think we mix compassion for feeling sorry for the people, right? Compassion is a deep feeling. Compassion is in my being. I desire for them to be helped. That's compassion. Compassion and mercy are usually clumped together in that way. All the disciples have been following Jesus for a little under a year at this point in Scripture, in Matthew chapter 9. They've been, they've been following Jesus for a little bit under a year. And they've probably seen the same exact problems that Jesus is seeing. They've seen the hurting, right? They've seen those people that, as Jesus said, are walking around like sheep without a shepherd. And as these disciples, the men that are following Jesus, now it wasn't just 12. At this point, it wasn't twelve. At this point, there was a multitude of people following Jesus. Jesus hadn't chosen the 12 yet. It was a multitude of disciples following Jesus. And so all of these people have probably seen the same exact problems that Jesus is observing here, but, the, but they probably said in their hearts, well, they better, these hurting people better go to the temple with the priests. They better get to the professionals who were trained to do this. Right? Right? They better, they better go to the people whose job it is to help the, uh, the hurting and the broken. We do the same thing today. I do the same thing today. I work at a church, right? I'm like, oh man, that person needs a pastor. <laughs> and I look around, I'm like, dang it. <laughs> When we see brokenness in people who need shepherding, we think, well, we better send them to the professional. So we direct them towards a pastor or an institution. Oh, man, this, this person at my work, man, she is, she's going through such a hard time. Man, if I could just get her to church. I imagine Peter in this group. Because Peter, he wasn't one of the disciples yet, right? One of the 12 yet. Jesus hadn't chosen them yet. He was just among this group. And I imagine Peter saying, Man, Jesus, you're right. I better start praying for someone to come and lead these people. Because we all know I'm far too messed up to help them, right? I just, no, honestly, like I I relate to Peter so much, as we all should. I imagine Peter in this group among tons of people. I'm like, man, you're right, Jesus. I will start praying for laborers to come. It's definitely not me because we all know how jacked up I am, right? We all know the baggage I have. We all know the sailor's mouth I have. I'm not able to help these people insert gospel here listen listen the the gospel story the entirety of the gospel is the fact that yeah we are so messed up as people we have spent our entire lives trying to forge our own past living for ourselves trying to write our own stories we have spent this entire time trying to build up our own kingdoms, trying to build up our own families, right? Uh, find a pretty wife or find an awesome husband, right? Raise some cute kids, get a 401k and then die one day, right? Yeah, American dream. I'm going to work as hard as I can. Then one day I'll do nothing and then die, right? And, and, and so, and so here, here's, the, here's, here's the reality, Insert gospel, the the fact is we are so incredibly messed up and that's the beauty of Jesus' cross, that Zach Schullerbarger in and of himself is so ill-equipped to minister to anybody and is not worthy of the attention of the God and creator of the universe, but that he would be, it it says in Psalms, it says, who is man? And you are mindful of him. You look at the stars. You look at the creation. You look at the vastness of this universe. Who is man that God is mindful of us? The fact that that Jesus, on that cross, would take that baggage that you hold and that you think holds you back, he would nail it to the cross and crucify it. And then Paul, who would say, I was crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Oh, to be able to say that, that's that is the essence of Christianity. The fact that, yeah, you are ill-equipped, but guess what? It's not you who lives anymore. When you said, Jesus, come into my life, you essentially said, God, I no longer call the shots. You're the one living through me now. It's not about building my life. It's not about building my job. It's not about building my home. It's about giving Christ glory now. That is what a Christian is. That is what it is to be in Christ in his life. That's what it is. And so I imagine Peter now, I imagine uh, Peter at one point probably saying, oh, no, 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 no. We need to leave the guiding and the mentoring to the professionals. I'm too messed up, and I, I can't even get my own life together. So I'll pray for people to come and for laborers to come into the harvest. But man, I can't do this. Later on, that imperfection would be magnified in Peter as Christ is being beaten. His beard is being pulled out of his face. Peter looks upon all of that that's going on. And, and there's some people over here, a little girl, a man, all these people saying, Hey, aren't, don't, don't you run with Jesus? Aren't you one of his dudes? Don't know him. And it says, in fact, that he cursed. I don't know him. I, I have no idea who Jesus is. Peter's insecurity was magnified in that moment. The fact that he, he couldn't stand for Jesus without the Holy Spirit. And then Christ dies, takes upon all of Peter's imperfections and his insecurities and his shortcomings, and then proves that they have absolutely no power for the followers of Jesus because he rose again on the third day. It was again on the third day, and it says in John chapter 21, in verse 15, Peter's sitting on the beach. He's cold and wet because he had swam to Jesus. Jesus has a nice fire going on. And Jesus looks at Peter, and he calls him Simon, because that was his birth name. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you you know that I love you. Do you guys know what Jesus says next? He says, feed my lambs. He says again, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. And he says a third time. Because Peter denied Jesus three times, and a third time, Jesus says, Peter, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I've denied you, you know my insecurities, you know my failures. But in spite of all this, I see your power. I see your resurrection. You know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. That would be the beginning for Peter of his life, pouring out into other people. That Peter who had once experienced so much insecurity in his life, so much shortcomings, denying the work of God, praying for the laborers, but never laboring himself, just being content to kind of learn from Jesus, but not do the work of Jesus. It would be him later on who would write in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. He would say this to the church that he discipled and the church that he poured into. He said, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter said this to you, Christians, if you are, if you are a Christ follower in here, Peter says to you, you are a priest. You're a priest. That is not a label that you, you work towards. That's not something you have to go to college for. That's not something you get trained up for. If you are a Christian, a Christ follower in here, you're a priest. So so that is an identity that Christ's nature has put onto you. That is an identity he has given you. That's not something you'd be like, I think I want to be a priest. No, you are a priest. It's a question of whether you're a good one or not. You're a priest. So that's, that's an identity. And I'm sorry if I'm saying some hard things, you know, I like, you know, I I was struggling with the Lord last night. I'm like, Lord, I want to be liked, (laughs) you know, and God's like, and God's like, you got to obey me and what I've told you to say rather than have people like you. Right. So send the emails to Pastor Rob. But discipling guys, discipling isn't for the professionals. The labor, the, the harvest and, and, and going and laboring, that's not for the people that have gone to Bible college and seminary. Now, some people choose to make that their lifestyle so they can do above and beyond and equip you guys for that duty. But it is you, Christians, it is I who have called to be priests. And Peter, the man who would deny Christ three times, was then restored and would declare that. And then constantly build with his entire life upon the foundation of Christ, the cornerstone. You see, there are gospel-centered Christians and there's world-centered Christians Now, what we might think a world-centered Christian is is someone who's entrenched in the world, entrenched in sin, and always, uh, you know, uh, always just deep in sin, but that's actually not what I would say a world-centered Christian is. A world-centered Christian looks at the brokenness of this world. They look at the wickedness, the wretchedness, and they pray, Lord, make everybody saved. Save the world, save the government, save the children, because I I don't know if I could take this much longer. It isn't what it used to be. Lord, Lord, I, I just pray that you would save them all because, man, we're, our, our time is running out. That's a world-centered view. That's a view that only looks at the brokenness of the world and not the majesty of the Savior. A gospel-centered Christian will look at the brokenness of the world and then look at Jesus and say, Lord, this world is broken and these people are in need of guidance and love in their brokenness, that's simply a beautiful opportunity for you to show how marvelous you are. So equip me and those around me to guide them into you. A world-centered Christian will say, world is far gone. I'll pray for them to come to Jesus. I'll stay in my home. A gospel-centered Christian will say, oh, this world is a, the harvest is so ripe. <laughs> the brokenness of this world, that's just creating the hearts that are screaming for the gospel. I can't wait to go out there. You see the brokenness of this world, it's used by God to beat people into submission towards where they can finally say, I do need a savior. I do need a savior. God, he, you know, he doesn't ordain all the debauchery and sin that happens, but you better believe he uses it as a sovereign savior. You better believe that he uses all of these things together to mold and mend the heart so that they would be ripe for harvest. And it is God who creates the harvest. Don't pray for the harvest. That's uh, that's God's job. God's job is to make the harvest. Don't pray for that. Pray for the laborers. Man, pray for people to be raised up and equipped to go and disciple people. To go and disciple people. And I love that Jesus modeled that for us. I love that Jesus modeled discipleship for us. It's super, super cool. Because it says in Matthew 9, verse 38, what we just read, he says, pray for laborers. Yes? He says, pray for laborers. Yes? Okay. The very next verse. It says, then he chose 12. He says, oh, Amen, these people are without a shepherd. These people are without a shepherd. Guys, pray for laborers. Pray for laborers for the harvest. Very next verse. And the Lord chose 12. He called his 12 disciples to him. He called them afterwards. Do you know what I? You know, I, this isn't in scripture, but I can see this correlation because we know that as we pray for things, our heart is changed. I can imagine because at this point, Jesus' disciples, there's there's a bunch of them. There's more than twelve, and he said, "Guys, pray for laborers for this harvest." And I I can bet that those who were generally saying, "God, send the people out there," and Lord, if it needs to be me. Let it be me. And then Jesus says, You. You, 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 you. Right? He did something about it. As we pray, God's will is impressed upon our hearts. You know, prayer is something I've been struggling with lately and just the theology behind it. My dad's really been helping me and discipling me through that, learning what prayer is. And I'm learning that prayer more than anything is impressing God's will into ours. And so as I pray for laborers, my burden for the harvest becomes greater. And so I'm not just praying for laborers to come. I'm saying, Lord, send me as a laborer. And help me to equip other laborers for the harvest. For discipling others. Oh man. A restored life with Jesus, guys. And, and it was so emotional for me this week. Just, just thinking about this passage. A restored life with Jesus. Being wrapped up in mercy and surrounded by his love. Constantly taking in just how beautiful God's grace is? And how wretched I am and how beautiful he is that he would save me? Because I'm the most sinful person I know. Now I'm sure there's more sinful people but, but like I, I, I am the most sinful person I know. I know the depths of my heart and for God to say I want you being wrapped up in that it, it should create this posture in my heart. It should create this posture in our hearts, guys. If, as we surround ourselves by the gospel, it creates this thing in our hearts where we just want to say, anything, Lord. What do you want? Anything. Anything. If your hearts have truly been gripped by the gospel, it should create this posture in your heart. You say, anything. What does it take? No matter how uncomfortable it may be, no matter how much I may have to sacrifice, what do you want from me, Lord? What do you want from me? Then God says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And he doesn't only give you the call, but he gives you the power to do so. It says in Matthew 28, verse 18, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of this age. He gives us the power too. He gives us the strength. He gives us the gifts. He gives us everything necessary. But you're not going to get them before you step out and do it. God God is not going to say, all right. Here's everything you need. Here's your care package for discipleship. Now go out. He's saying, go out, and I will give you everything you need, step by step, as you need it. There's some things, guys, that we need to listen to the Lord's direction and calling. There's certain things, guys, that 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 we really need to get down on our knees and we need to seek advice and we need to implore of the Lord. Am I called to this? Hey, am I called to move and switch jobs? Am I called to move my family to another house? Am I called to marry this person? And am I, are we called to this? Are we called to this? There's some things that we really need to do introspection in our hearts and pray continually. Lord, is this your will? And there are some things that we need no prayer for, God just says, do it. Lord, am I called to make disciples? Like, am I called to like mentor someone or whatever? Yeah. I, I just picture God just wanting to stop you in your prayer right there. Yes! God, am I called to a quad and, and be discipled by other men and other women? Yeah! Yeah, you are! Oh Lord, you know, but I, I got, I got a job and I got this and yes, do it. You are called to disciple men and women around you. You are called to pick a few people around you and pour your life into them. That's not something you have to pray about. That's not something you have to be like, ah, oh, Lord, is this something I should do? Huh? Yes, it is. It's clear. There's some things in scripture where it is absolutely clear. And it's not something you can say, well, I don't know. I don't think my gifting is discipleship. I think it's more serving. So can I just like stack chairs, you know? <laughs> Discipling isn't another ministry that you can do. Listen to me, listen. Listen. Listen, discipling isn't like, okay, so we serve in the cafe, like we serve on the worship team, we usher and we greet, um, you know, sometimes we clean the parking lot and then some people discipleship and do discipleship with people. That's, that's not, discipleship isn't another separate serving entity, right? If you're on the worship team, who are you discipling? Right? If you're, if you're, if you're back there in the cafe, who are you discipling? If if you, are, if you are in the parking lot, who, who are your disciples? Who are you discipling? Who are you pouring into? Right? The, the, discipleship isn't a separate ministry that you can choose to do or not to do. It's like, oh man, I'll either do discipleship or I'll help clean on Sundays. No, you do both. You do both. Disci- discipleship is a part of who you are. It's your call. And listen, that's, that's, that's Christ-like. Isn't the last thing Christ calls us to do? It should be like the most important. The one thing Jesus told us to do before he left. Isn't that pretty important? And he says, Make disciples. Make disciples. And so, no matter what area of ministry you're serving in currently, uh, and, 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 and tithing and donating to certain ministries, who are you discipling? Who are you mentoring? And it's like, well, you know, sometimes I hang out with the guys at work, after work. Are you discipling them? Are you being intentional? Are you being intentional with them? Hanging out doesn't equal discipleship, though it includes it, right? Who are you discipling? Who's your, who is your disciple? Who are you pouring into? And man... I, I want to encourage you guys in here, for those of you that are pouring into people's lives, continue to do so. And then I want to encourage you that, are, that, that maybe, maybe some of you feel ill-equipped to do so. You, are, you have everything you need in Christ Jesus. You have his word and all that is sufficient to pour into people. So for those of you that have been maybe reluctant to pour into others due to, oh man, I, I just don't think that that's my thing or I'm not equipped to do so, God is so willing to fill you up with his power In the words that need to be said. And and he models everything for us. It's beautiful. He models everything that we could possibly need. It says in Mark chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, he says, And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and give them authority to cast out demons. The first call of being a disciple and discipling others is to be with Jesus so that they might be with him. Just be with Jesus. Be with him. Continue to abide in a functioning relationship with him. Talk with him. Pray with him. Learn about him. Continually be abiding in Jesus. Spending time with Jesus. And then this translates to those you are discipling. Being together. Right? Right? Being together. It doesn't have to be a hyper-spiritual moment all the time, right? It can be just having coffee together. Man, two hours out of your week to just sit down and have a meal with somebody. For you older couples, find a younger couple. Man, once a month, do you just want to come over to our house and, and, and just hang out and talk? For you college students, Find a, find a younger person, high schoolers, you college girls. There's so many high school girls that are navigating this life without any mentorship. Mentor them, right? There's, there's so many people that we can be pouring into and just being with them, right? Because that was, that was the main ministry Jesus had was his 12 disciples and them just being with him and being around him and doing life with him. Eating with him, laughing with him, joking with him. And then it says, and he might send them out to preach. Now you don't have to be in front of hundreds of people. You don't have to be a preacher to preach, right? Abiding in Jesus and learning about him from his words should, should open up this dialogue between, the, between you and those you're discipling. It's a dialogue, I, I, I am so, I, I am discipled and poured into by some of my friends. And the times I learn the most aren't times where I'm sitting in a church listening to pastors, though they, they, they educate me in ways that I, I can never educate people. It's not from listening to sermons, but some of the greatest times of my learning happens when I am amongst these couple guys and they're just telling me what, the, what God's been doing in their lives. I'm like, whoa, that applies to me too. What do you guys think about this? And then they tell me, and then I tell them. That's discipleship. That's community. That's preaching. Do you know that? That's preaching. Preaching is building a relationship with that guy at work, that woman at work, and, and just talking with them and being with them and hanging out with them, and then saying, well, this is kind of what God's doing in my life. What do you think? Preaching. It doesn't have to be this grand. You have to prepare for six hours of sermon to preach to everybody. It's just, God's been doing this in my life. What do you think about that? What's God been doing in your life? Mentorship, discipleship. And then third, it says, and he gave them the authority to cast out demons. As you're doing life together, as you're building relationships and continually preaching Jesus to one another and in each other's lives, you get to also deal with the difficult situations in life. Now, if you go to foreign countries, I will tell you this. There are demons that need to be cast out continually all the time. And here, the demons are a little more subtle. Demons don't need to do much because we medicate people towards a point where they don't have to do anything. The enemy is waiting to tear you and those around you down. So it is of the utmost importance that you are speaking truth into each other's lives and raising each other up and praying for one another. Casting out demons is as simply as my friends and those who disciple me putting their hands on me and just praying over the difficulties in my life and then following up with me. Hey, how are you doing with this? It's dealing with the difficult things in people's lives because we can build shallow relationships where it's like, hey, how are you doing? Good. How about you? Good. All right. Bye. <laughs> but as you as you're creating a relationship with people and dialogue with people, the difficult things start to bubble up. The difficult things start to manifest themselves. We all have demons, and we are all equipped by Jesus to cast them out. And this, guys, this is the existence and the heartbeat of the church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking bread and of prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And growth occur when there's teaching of the word, when there's mutual sacrifice of time and resources. And guys, you know, this isn't, this isn't some weird communist thing where they sold everything they had and then they were distributed to those who had needs. It's not some weird socialism thing. All right. So don't freak out. Right. It was simply the people in the body of Christ saying, where's the need? How can I help? For those that were very financially steady, they'd be like, and they see those that that weren't financially steady, they'd be like, all right, here's, here's this to you. For those that maybe were financially steady but had absolutely no community and no one mentoring them, those who maybe weren't as financially great would say, hey, let's get lunch. Hey, come over to my house. Let my family minister to you. So some people would give in finances, some people would give in resources, some would give of their time. What the point is, there is sacrifice involved for the sake of discipleship. You do have to sacrifice a little bit. You do have to maybe sacrifice the time you watch football after Sunday morning service and go and have lunch with somebody. That might have to happen for growth and for church to occur. You might have to do these things. You might have to talk to your kids about the difficult stuff, in order for their mentorship to start occurring. You might have to speak into people's lives and the sins that they're happening. That's weird and awkward and difficult, but you're building relationship, and that's what the church is all about. That's the church. Church isn't coming on Sundays, getting something, leaving, coming back the next week. Church is a constant, I am sacrificing this for you. I am sacrificing this for you. Let us build one another up. Let us deny ourselves, pick up our crosses, and follow Jesus together. As it says in Galatians 6, do you have a burden? How can I help you with that? Do you have a burden? How can I help you with this? Life. Life. Fellowship, hanging out, being generous. Being generous. And it is so amazing, guys, that in this church is a wave of obedience towards that calling. You guys are blessed to be in a church that has sees this call and is saying we 're going to obey it we 're not, we're not just going to do church as like going to a movie theater being entertained. Man, we have women 's quads that 's starting to happen. We have men 's quads. I, I, I love John Marcinko, who he does parking lot back there, but then once a week he has people come to his house and he feeds them and they talk about Jesus together. We have a church that is starting to obey this. Guys, we have, we have kids ministry. Children need discipleship. The children in our church need people to teach them and mentor them. Sign up to help out with the kids' ministry. We've got teenagers here. We've got, we've got like upwards to 70 teenagers that we're discipling in five leaders. Help, right? We've got men's quads. We've got men that are coming into discipling one another and sharpening one another. We've got women that are signing up to get in quads, get in fellowship and mentor and disciple one another. Take advantage of that. That's not something where you have to do, Lord, am I supposed to be a part of a quad? No, that's a yes. Yes, you are. Absolutely. But God, like, that's like two hours out of my week. It's like, yeah, worth it. How often, how much time do you spend on Netflix? Just cut that out. Perfect. Right on. We got time now. Yes. Excellent. There are, there are things forming in our church that we need to take advantage of. Man, be a part of the community. Be a part of the discipleship. And this isn't me trying to make you feel guilty, trying to guilt you into doing discipleship. That's not my intention. My intention is, guys, we're obeying Jesus here. We are obeying Jesus. And it is my call as a pastor and all of us as a church staff and pastors to say, let's obey Jesus together and let's make disciples And Jesus says, and lo, I am with you to the end of this age. I'm with you. I got you. Guys, like I said, it's been an emotional week as I've been preparing this sermon. I I just contemplate. I started crying last night. It's not something I do very often because I'm a man, you know? Men don't cry, right? That's bogus. Men cry. But, like... I just started crying. I'm like, I, like, that God would take me. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really young and stupid. And I, I, I'm so prideful, and I, I have all these insecurities and these shortcomings about me that may not be projected, they may not be seen by everyone, but man, I'm aware of it every waking moment of my life of the shortcomings I have, of of the issues that I have, and that God would allow me to tend to his sheep. The most precious people, the most precious things that live on this earth are God's sheep. You, the people around you, that God would say, I want you to tend to them? That is an overwhelming call. And it is an honor. It is an honor that God would allow you to say, hey, do you help my sheep? Do you tend to them? They're the most precious things that I hold dear. Would you disciple them? Wow. That is insane. And it, it makes me well up. With, it makes me well up with emotions. These are people around you. These aren't just other bodies and other cars that cut you off on the freeway, right? <laughs> These are human beings around you that are called before the foundations of the world. Look around you, look in this room. Before the foundations of the world, God said, I want them, I want them, I want them, I want them. These are precious, predestined people of God where he said, before the foundations of the world, I'm going to decide their entire lives. I'm going to call them, I'm going to love them, I'm going to die for them, and then I'm going to call this person to pour into that. That's you. That's not the person next to you. Like, oh, the person next to me really needs to get going in ministry, right? Like, man, I wish wish so-and-so was here. (laughs) They really need to start discipling people. No, this is for all of us, right? This is for all of us. And I want that same joy that Paul had. I want that same joy that Paul had in Philippians chapter one, verse nine, he says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that you may provide what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. I'll ask the worship team to come back up and I'll just simply close with this. I want that same joy, that same, I mean, you can see that love that when Paul would write his letters to the Galatians, to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, you would see these things where there was a love for people because there was an investment in people. You love the, the, the things that you invest in. It's hard to love the people around you when, you're, when you have no investment in their lives at all. You haven't given anything. And this is, a, this is a wake-up call to me, even as a pastor, that sometimes it just becomes about the, the activities. It becomes about the little seminars, or it becomes about this or that. It, it becomes about writing, oh, how, what's the best sermon I can write, right? The people around me need to be loved and discipled. So let that call be for each and every one of us. Let this not be another sermon where we can just analyze it and say, oh, that was good or bad, right? Let this be something that stirs us up. Who now am I going to disciple? Or who am I discipling currently where I need to be more intentional with them and loving them and acting like Jesus towards them? Amen? Lord, um, I just pray that this call to be your church, Lord, would not be taken lightly. This call to be your bride that that ministers to the world, your precious sheep. I pray that we'd be gospel-centered in our thinking, that we wouldn't look at the world and, and say, oh, it's so far gone. Man, Lord, come now. But we'd say, oh, Lord, look at the opportunities for your gospel to be spread. right now that as we sing this last hymn that we wouldn't exit out but we'd take time to stand shoulder to shoulder with our brothers and sisters and as one voice offer a praise to you and in our unified singing together or that we would also be unified in our mission of making disciples of all nations we adore you Lord and it is in your holy name we pray Amen. Let's stand and sing.